busy with everything going on, and I just felt like I I didn't get a chance to really dig in like I, I like to. And, I mean, I prayed and prayed that God will use this message, and I know he doesn't need me to do it, but uh, I just felt like it was so busy. And so you pray for me today. I want to try to do my best to honor God's Word. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 5 this morning. I'm going to just continue on in my series in the life of David. I've been taking a little bit bigger chunks trying to get to the end of where I want God or God wants me to get to with this thing. Um, and it just so happens that for Father's Day, I feel like this will be a great message, not just for the men of the church, but for all of us. Uh, and the title of my message is simply Trusting God. Trusting God. I talked about it a little bit in Sunday school. For a lot of believers, it's not so much having a head knowledge and an understanding of what God wants from us. I think many of us understand the things that we're supposed to do. It's putting them into practice that usually becomes the stumbling block, the struggle for us. It's not knowing, it's doing. And so trusting God is one of those things where, yeah, we can all sit here and say, oh man, I trust God. I know I'm supposed to trust God. But if you're honest, there's times in your life where it's really hard to trust God. It's really hard to just let go and trust, isn't it? And so I want us to look this morning at 2 Samuel chapter 5. I haven't had you stand in a long time because we've been doing big sections of Scripture, but I feel like this one this morning is short enough where you can stretch your legs one more time and stand with me as we reverence God's Word. We're just going to read from verses 17 on down through verse 25. The Bible says this, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it, and he went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, therefore he called the name of the place Baal Perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again to the and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in the front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the truth that is contained in it. I pray that you will help me to draw that out, that your people would receive it, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, and that we could leave here, Lord, knowing you and the scriptures and what they tell us to do. Father, bless this time together. I pray that you would increase and I will decrease, and I give you all the praise already for what we've felt and heard here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think that when we talk about belief and what it means to believe, 
that word in our language sometimes just leaves us with the idea that if we just can collect a group of facts and organize them and somehow understand them, that we have done our part in believing. And while believing certainly involves the mind, it doesn't stop or end with just the mind. We talk about, in, in this church, the scriptures talk about the Reformation was a movement that was built around the fact that there were some non-negotiables, if you will, that the early church had founded itself upon, that they had strayed from, and there was a need to get back to it. And the Reformation brought back the scriptures to the center of the life of the church. And I believe if ever we needed a Reformation again, so to speak, it is in our world today. I believe that the scriptures have been pushed aside for pragmatism. If it works, it must be right. For experientialism, my experience is right, your experience is right. From relativism, whatever you say goes, whatever I say goes. There's all sorts of isms that have infected the church. And I pray that we will see a resurgence of a trust and a dependence upon the Word of God alone to dictate us and to be our sole authority in our lives. The cry of the, Re the Reformation, one of them, was sola scriptura, scripture alone. And may we once again stand unapologetically on the Word of God. And so when we believe, we are placing our faith in a person, that person being Jesus Christ. And that person is revealed to us through the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Either this book is given to us by God, it is clearly from Him, His dictates, His authority, His expectations, His revelation, or it's a waste of our time to be here today and do what we're doing and speak from this as though it has any authority over our lives. And many people today reject it as having any authority and any inspiration from God. But I believe that the evidence is too overwhelming and simply say that this is a book written by man. Certainly God used men as the agents to pen it down, but he inspired them, he guided them in the process so that what they wrote was perfectly his will and testimony to his people. And so I mentioned the Reformers when I started this message. Not to get too technical and not to overwhelm you with this, but I, I think if you can just grasp the concept of this, it will help you along the way. The Reformers broke down faith or belief into three subsets, if you will. So the first one, this is, remember, this is Latin language, so the Latin term is notitia. I'm not expecting you to remember this, but I do want you to understand the concept. Notitia is the facts. So when someone opens up the Word of God like I am this morning, I am communicating to you a message. I'm giving you a list of facts if you will. You're processing those in your mind. You haven't come to a conclusion necessarily about what I'm saying as far as if you believe it or not. But you are listening to me. You are taking what I'm saying. You're trying to sort it out. Kind of like when you open the box on the puzzle and you just lay all the pieces out. Nothing's come together yet, but you've got everything flipped over and you're looking at it. That's the notitia. That is the mental side of faith. It's got to start there. You've got to understand at least what we're dealing with before you can weigh things out. The weighing out of things is the next step called the ascensus of the facts. So once they're laid out, faith then begins to take a look at things 
and faith begins to process it. Okay, I've got all the pieces of the puzzle. This one appears to go there. This one goes there. The picture on the box is starting to look like the puzzle that I'm putting together. It's starting to make sense. But if you stop at one of those two, you will never reach true faith. You will never come to a saving faith, and you will never come to a faith that will continue to sanctify you in your life until you come to the final step of faith, which the Reformers called the fiducia. The fiducia is the application of faith. It is the complete trust. It is taking the facts, putting them in organization, if you will, and ultimately relying on that to be true. And I believe the problem today with many people is that they believe that they have made it to the third step, but they stopped at number one and number two. Because the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. Are the demons saved? No. But they believe they have the facts. Perhaps they've even began to put some of those together. But they've ultimately never trusted Christ or believed the gospel. When we look at faith this morning, when we talk about trusting God, I want us to really dive into that final realm because that's where it's got to take place. I can preach this message. I can talk to you about trusting God. You're going to leave out of here today and face experiences in your life where you're going to have to trust Him. And you can say, well, Pastor talked about it, and the Bible speaks about it, but you've got to make a decision in that moment. Am I really going to trust Him, or am I going to continue to try to fix it myself, figure it out myself, control it myself? You can't have both. And if you're honest, I'm going to be honest, that's really hard. It's really hard to trust God in the real-life application. It's easy to sit in here when I speak about it and say, Amen, Pastor, I agree with you. The notitia, the ascensus, yeah, you agree with me. But are we going to get to the fiducia where we believe it enough to act on it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know this verse probably very well, many of you do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Notice those things. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All of it. That's when it gets a little sticky, right? We're okay with a portion. We're okay with from time to time. That's not what it says. It says all of it, all the time, in all situations, in all circumstances, trust in the Lord. I was reading a book, browsing through a book that I've had for a long time. I encourage you, if you ever want to get a really good book about this subject, it's called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. It's an older book. But he said there are three truths about God that are so important for us to grasp and then apply in our lives. But he's talking right now in this portion of the book about just the comprehension of things. He says, we need to understand these things about God. Number one, He's completely sovereign. He's completely sovereign. Number two, He's infinitely wise. And number three, He is perfect in love. Completely sovereign, infinitely wise, perfect in love. And He puts those three together and He says this. He says, God in His love will always do what is best for us. In His 
wisdom, he knows what is best for us. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring all of that about in our lives. That's a really good way to take those three things and see how God is in control of all of those. So I want to ask you, now that I've kind of set the stage, so to speak, can you trust God with your life? Can you trust God with your life? I'm going to venture a guess to say the majority of you just answered yes. But that's not the real question I'm going to try to press you with today. It's not, can you trust God? Will you trust God? Will you trust God with your life? One writer put it this way, either God runs the universe or you do. Either God runs the universe or you do. You have a choice. We look at David's life. I skipped over a few chapters from the last text that I preached from. But the story is the same of kind of what we've seen in David's life. He is anointed king. He was named king, you remember, many years ago, but Saul was still on the throne. Saul has now died. Now David is officially anointed king over Judah. And guess what immediately begins to happen? More problems. Remember how I told you often on the heels of your greatest victories will come the biggest struggles? You've seen it over and over in David's life. He's anointed king over Judah. Immediately, there is a general that was Saul's general named Abner, and he says, I'm not going for this. I'm going to anoint a guy named Ishbosheth to be king over Israel. So now, right off the bat, there's two supposed kings, one chosen by God, one nominated by man, in a split of the kingdom. So you talk about problems right off the bat. Then to make matters worse, there's a feud back and forth. They're pursuing David. One of the men is killed. Then Abner joins on David's side. This upsets uh, David's general Joab. So Joab kills Abner, which upsets David. I mean, it's just a mess. You think your family's a mess? This is a mess, right? It goes from bad to worse in the life of David, outwardly speaking. But David is a man after God's own heart. And through all of this, yes, he sins. Through all of these times, yes, he has moments of weakness, as we all do. But for the most part, David keeps his composure, and he keeps his focus on the Lord. He understands what Job said when he said, man is man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. And boy, that's the truth. If you live any amount of time, you're going to face trouble. You can't stop it from happening, but you can control the way you respond to it. And trusting in God is one of the best ways that you are going to be able to handle the low times in your life, the troubles in life, the adversity in life, the suffering in life. Those are the moments where will you trust God is really put to the test. Trusting Him when everything is good is easy because you're not really trusting in Him. If you've got plenty of money in the bank and everybody's happy and the job is going good and the kids are well-behaved, hey, I got this, right? But when your world crumbles apart and you are spiraling out of control, that's when you say, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. But you need him just as much on the good days as you do the bad days. We need him. We just don't recognize that we need him as much. So let's look at this text that I read to you today. I want you to see a few things as we go back and cover a couple of stuff. Notice at verse 17 that the Philistines heard that David was anointed king, and they went up to search 
for David. That's the first thing I want you to see in life in general as we talk about trusting God is that trouble found David. He didn't have to go looking for it. Problems will find you, won't they? Listen, I want you to understand this. Don't make the devil's job any easier on him. He will come looking for you. Don't go looking for trouble. But a lot of times we do. And then we cry out to God for help. We think, oh God, how did I get myself in this mess? How did you do it? You want me to tell you how you did it? You didn't do it his way the first time, right? You you understood you had the notitia of what his word said. You knew the senses, the consequences that would come if you did it your way. But then the moment of decision, the fiducia, you said, well, God's way, my way, mm-hmm, my way sounds good. And then it falls apart, and then we're back to, oh, God, help me. We're just like Israel. Have you ever read the book of Judges? It's the same thing. The Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they did everything that they wanted to do, and everything fell apart. And then they were down on their face crying out to God. Now listen, I'm glad if you're a mess today and you're here and you're crying out to God, help me. I am so glad you're here. And God's not up there saying, I told you. told you. When are you going to learn? He is a God of mercy. He is a God of forgiveness. Our Sunday school book today said He is a God of second chances. And I'm glad of that. But listen, God can forgive you. God can turn things around for you. But God is not obligated to remove the consequences of your bad choice. There are times when you will be forgiven and loved and accepted and still have to struggle with the consequences of what you did because you didn't do it His way the first time. That doesn't make God the bad guy. That makes us hard-headed. That makes us unwilling to do it right the first time. And so trouble looks for David. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is on a constant mission to see people drawn away into hell. He will do everything possible in his legion of demons and darkness to try to keep you from ever making a decision for Jesus Christ. That's why I tell you when we come to church, and I kid about it all the time, Baptists love to sit in the back. They do. And, I, and it's, it's an ongoing joke. But I'm telling you this. The farther back you sit, the more distractions the enemy will show you to keep you from getting what you need to get. You guys are in the best seat in the house. Best seat in the house. I know I'm spitting on you, and you probably don't like that. But you're in the best place you can be because you have no idea what everybody else behind you is doing. You don't see them nodding off, picking their nose, cutting their toenails. They're not doing that. I hope they're not doing that. But if they were, you wouldn't know it. And so you're in a good spot. But I'm telling you, if you bring a lost loved one to church, get them up here. Don't go back there because they'll see everything going on, and you don't think the enemy is going to use that to draw their mind away. It sounds silly, but I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. He will use anything and everything. Don't make it easy on him. Come in prepared. The Bible says we are to know the schemes of the enemy, and you should prepare your mind and watch how he works. Trust God's word with it. Trouble finds David. And I want you to see how David responds in verse 17. As the Philistines are coming and camping, it says, David heard of it, and he went down 
to the stronghold. Trouble sought David, and David sheltered in the stronghold. In the little prophetic book, Nahum, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, listen to what it says there. The Lord is good. Didn't we sing about that? How great is our God? The Lord is good. What's it say about him? A stronghold when? In the day of trouble. And he knows them that do what? You see? In the day of trouble, there is a place that you can rest, a refuge that you can find in Jesus. When the world is raging, there is a firm foundation in Christ. I'm not saying that trusting in Jesus will remove your problems. I'm saying that trusting in Jesus is a peace and a hope that the world can't penetrate. I sat yesterday, stood yesterday in a funeral of an eight-year-old little boy, and through all of the grief and all of the pain, was able to draw hope and strength, and hopefully the family did too, from the fact that while death may get a momentary victory, it does not ultimately win for the believer that because of Christ and His resurrection, while we will miss those that die this side of heaven, boy, oh boy, we're going to see them again one day. And I'm so glad for that. And those are the things that will carry us through when life is too difficult for us to stand. But I want you to see something else about that stronghold. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble when He knows them that trust Him. But there's another verse in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that uses the word stronghold. Listen to what it says there. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for doing what? Pulling down strongholds. The Bible said in Nahum that God is a stronghold that we ought to run into. But Paul says in the New Testament that there are strongholds in our lives that need to be removed as well. You know why that is? Because for every good thing that God does, the enemy makes a counterfeit. Every good thing that God is... There's a, there's a true church. There's an apostate church. There is one way to heaven. The enemy offers many ways to heaven. Everything that God has ever done, the enemy tries to counterfeit. And there is a sure and steady stronghold in our life, which is Christ. But he will offer many things for you to put your trust in to try to get through life. There will be strongholds in your life and you think, I can trust in this. This is going to get me through. If I put my faith in this thing, in the time of trouble, if I trust in my money, if I trust in my spouse, if I trust in my job. And just like that, those things can be gone. And we fall apart because we were trusting in the wrong thing. Trusting God alone means all the other false strongholds got to get torn down. That's why it's so hard to trust God if you want to know the truth. It's not that you don't believe that He is able. It's that you have trained yourself to trust in so many other things that it's hard to tear those down and put your faith in one thing or one person. Think about it today for just a moment. How many things in your life would you fall apart if they were gone this afternoon? If there's something in your life that you can envision in your mind and say, I don't think that I could go on if this was removed. You are putting far too much trust in that thing or that person because I'm telling you right now, God forbid it happens. But anything in this life can be gone before this message is over. People, things, your life, gone. If you can't say for sure, then say this was easy. Say and be honest. If you can't say, God alone is my trust, 
He's my refuge. Nothing else matters. You're not quite where you need to be yet. Maybe none of us are there. But we've got to at least be honest about it. We've got to take an honest look at it. David knew that he needed to be in the stronghold. The enemy was camped outside. He needed to get himself into a stronghold, and you do too. As we go on, drop down to verse 19. Look what it says there. It says, So David inquired of the Lord. David sought the Lord. There's trouble coming. David goes to the place of refuge, and he has a conversation with God. Now, what I want you to think about, if you've been with us, if not, I'm going to read just a little bit of it. Notice how much different David's response is to the exact same situation than what we saw Saul do just a few chapters before. I'm going to flip back over to 1 Samuel 28. And listen, I'm going to just read a little bit of how Saul responded to the exact same situation, beginning in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 28. Now, Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then, here we go, the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was greatly afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now notice, Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him, neither by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Why did God not answer Saul? Because he had continually rejected God. He had continually done it his way. And so God says, okay, you haven't done it my way yet. I'm going to let you learn the hard way. I'm going to let you see. Rather than falling on his face in repentance and crying out to God for mercy, saying, I've, I've blown it so many times, God help me this time. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, a witch, that I may go to her and inquire. See how drastically different the response is. There were strongholds in Saul's life that he hadn't dealt with. And when God was not immediately responsive, he defaulted back to the things that were in his life. When you put your trust in God and he doesn't move when you think he should, how you think he should, if you don't have a firm trust in his timing and his sovereignty and you haven't dealt with the strongholds, you'll go right back to the old things. Say, well, God must be on break. He must be on vacation. I've got to try to figure this thing out. I will go and trust him, whatever. See, that's why we've got to remove those things. Saul's disobedience led to all sorts of a mess. And when you decide to do it your way, I can pretty much guarantee you that things will happen the same way. But David inquires. He goes to God. That's the best thing that we can do when we need an answer is to go to the one that has the answers. Turn to the one with infinite wisdom and seek his face and say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to direct me. I need to make sure that my heart and my mind is in the right place. God, help me to do that. And notice how God responds in verse 19. The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless, I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. David inquires and God answers with a promise. Do you know how many promises are in this book? I don't have an exact number. But man, there are a lot of promises that God makes. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if God is God, the Bible says God is not a man that he can, cannot lie, right? If we can trust God and he makes a promise, what percentage would you put on that promise coming true? 100% guaranteed. When God says it, it will come to pass. Don't we sing that old song sometimes, standing on the promises of Christ my King? Through eternal ages, let his praises ring and all the things. Again, we shout it out and sing it out, but do we mean it? Do we believe it? Let me read to you a verse from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I love these verses. Peter writes these words, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which you have been given which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious what promises that through these through what the precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There's a lot there to unpack, and I won't even attempt to go through it all today. But here is the thing. When God gives us His Word, and He gives us the person of Jesus Christ, we have everything necessary to not only know Him, but to live for Him and be conformed into His image. That's what those verses are saying. Notice it again. By which you have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers, co-laborers, if you will, of the divine nature. Do you realize that as a believer you have the Spirit of God inside of you? So often we excuse ourselves and we say, well, I'm only human. I can't do this. No, you can't. You are only human. You'll blow it, fail miserably. God knew that. He's not caught off guard by that. He knows your weakness. He knows your limitations. That's why when he left, he didn't say to the disciples, well, I gave you 33 years of my life, three and a half years of ministry, taught you everything I can, good luck. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the comforter, and he is going to be with you always. How can God say, I will never leave nor forsake you? Because he dwells within his people. He, he cannot leave those that he indwells. You see? And so God is with you everywhere you it, It's comical to me when we sing songs, modern praise songs that say, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. I hope you brought him with you. I hope he's here with you. Like, don't leave him at the house. He came along with you. He will go. He's going with you when you leave. Don't leave him here till next Sunday. He dwells within his people. God knows that we need that. We can't live this life without him. He is our strength and our hope. God answers with a promise. Go, David. I will deliver your enemies. And while the enemies of God continue to attack us, they're already defeated. The devil is our adversary but the devil has been defeated. 
on the cross of Jesus Christ, all power, any power that the enemy might have had over us was broken. Jesus Christ put him under his heel and crushed him and his kingdom. Now, he can certainly strike blows against us in life, but he ultimately cannot defeat us or Christ. Sometimes we see pictures of this cosmic arm wrestling match between God and the devil. That's not true. He's crushed. There's no arm wrestling match. He's not even in the same league with our Lord and Savior. He is a created being that fell from heaven and has been ultimately and eternally defeated. Now, that doesn't mean that we blow it off and say, well, don't need to worry about it. Pastor said no problem there. Listen, you got to put on the whole armor of God. He's a roaring lion. He will devour us, not our sal- salvation, but he will have a field day with you if you ignore him completely. But sometimes we make the devil the problem about everything, the devil behind every corner. And that's not the case either. Most of the time it's us. Most of the time it's the flesh that's our biggest problem, the biggest enemy that we had to face. So David is answered with a promise. And listen, he got the answer and he acted on it. And this is where trusting God really comes into play. Like he prayed, he sought God. God said, absolutely. And David could have still sat there and said, man, Oh God, look how many, look at all those guys. Those are the Philistines. They're vicious and tough. Look at how many of them there are. I don't know if I want to go. I don't know if I want to go out there and, and risk it. Right? Just because he had the knowledge, he still had to apply it. And in verse 20, it says that he did. Right? So David went. And David defeated them. He went, and it worked out just like God said it would. Oftentimes, We want to see the sign and the evidence first, and then we'll act. That's not faith. Faith says, I'm going to trust. And when you step out in faith, then you'll see. You don't see before. You see afterwards. Sometimes much farther down the road afterwards. But you see God's hand all over situations that you didn't see in the moment when you were trusting. But you walked by faith. You stepped out in obedience. John 14, 15 says, Jesus says, if, don't miss that little word with a big meaning, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. No wiggle room in that verse. See it? If you love me, you will my commandments. Notice, as we wrap up here, verse 22, David gets the victory just like God says he was, but the enemy is persistent, isn't he? Wouldn't it be nice if you could win the victory and never have to deal with him again? Verse 22, the Philistines went up once again. They regrouped, they recollected, and they came back again. That's the thing about faith. There's a saving faith. You're justified the moment you believe. The moment, If you're here today and you're lost, you need to repent and look to Christ. And the moment you trust Him, He saves you, He changes you, you're born again, the Bible says, and you become His. That happens in an instant. It's not a progress. It's not progressive. It's instantaneous. But faith is something that goes on your entire life. It's not just a temporary thing. It's not a momentary thing. Faith is 
believing and continuing to believe in God as He sanctifies your life. The enemy will come back and you're going to have to trust God again. Things are going to go wrong in life and you're going to have to trust God again. It's not a one and done when it comes to living out this thing called the faith. Because notice that verse I gave you earlier from 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, your adversary, the devil, walks about or prowls. That's in the present tense. That means it's ongoing. Something in the present tense means continual action. It doesn't just come once and leave you alone move on. It's continual. So what does David do when he comes back? He does the same thing that he did the first time. Verse 23, David inquired of the Lord. And God tells him something a little bit different this time. God's not always going to give you canned answers. He says, don't go up this time. Go around the other way. And he says, when you come upon the front of the mulberry trees, you will hear the sound of marching in the sound of the mulberry trees. I thought about it a little bit this week. Like David's army's down there. Who's marching? Who do you think he's hearing march? In the Old Testament, God is sometimes called the God of hosts. You know what that title means? The God of armies. What army? The angels of heaven. How many times does God go before us and fight our battles? I believe that's what he's saying here to David. When my army goes on ahead of you, then you go on. And just follow their lead because it's already handled. And again, God promised. God ultimately was the one that was winning the victory. All this is due to God. He is sovereign over the situation. But again, David didn't just sit back and say, Well, I got it up here, but I don't know that I can go. Or, God, you got this. I'm just going to sit back and let you take care of it. David still had to go. And he still had to act, didn't he? Sanctification in our life, trusting God to become more like Jesus, requires our obedience. It requires our participation. My pastor used to say all the time, he drilled it into my head when I first got saved, don't pray for a hole and lean on your shovel. I mean, God will give you the strength. God will give you the opportunity. God will give you the direction, but he gave you the shovel too. Start digging. Start digging, right? We want God to do things in our life, but we're not willing to do what we need to do. Without faith, you heard it in our confession verse, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Impossible. You say, can God do anything? No, He can't do anything. God can't sin, and God can't use you if you refuse to trust Him. There has got to be faith mixed into this thing. It's impossible to please God if you won't trust Him. And trust is more than just saying, yes, God, I believe you, Pastor, said preached a good message. I hope hope it was a good message. Preached a good message today all about trust, and he was right. And you leave it there, it did no good for you. If you're here today and you're lost, and you know that if you died today, you are going to spend eternity in hell because you don't know Jesus Christ, and your sins have never been paid for, and you refuse to surrender your life and trust Him as your Savior, you will die lost. 
You can know all the facts. You can know that it, he died on the cross. You can know that he rose on the third day. You may have done the felt boards in Sunday school as a kid and know all the little stories. But if you've never made it personal, you are still lost. And you will stay lost until you make a decision. And it's the same thing with your Christian life. There are people all over in this room and in churches all over the world right now hearing messages preached. And God is dealing with their heart. And they're going to stand up during the invitation and they're going to white-knuckle that chair in front of them and hold on to that thing so deep. We've had to repair chairs, I think, sew back finger holes in the chairs where people have held on because they're convinced if they hold on long enough, the preacher will shut up and they can run out of here and they won't have to come back until next Father's Day or next Easter or whenever you plan to come back again. And I'm telling you that God has given you an opportunity today to be here because if He's dealing with your heart, today is the day of salvation and you've got a choice to make got a choice to make today. He's not guaranteed to give you another chance. He may not give you another chance. I'm not saying you're going to die. I'm saying he may not deal with you again. And if he doesn't deal with you again, you can't be saved. You don't get to get up in the morning and say, well, today seems like a good day. I think I'll give my life to Jesus. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God on the salvation of all who believe. The preaching of the word is used by the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, to draw you into the presence of Christ, to show you your sinful condition and his holiness and to understand that Jesus is the only way. And when that all happens, and I pray it's happening for you today, this morning, that is your call. That is the knock on your heart's door to say, come and get things right. Get saved. Get where you need to be. Serve Him. Stop letting the stronghold of fear, doubt, anxiety, whatever it is that's keeping you from being the person that God wants you to be, you've got to trust Him today. As hard as it is. It doesn't mean you got it all figured out. Your knees are knocking and you're scared to death. But you're going to step out and say, He is God. He runs the universe. And I can trust Him. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And this is the opportunity you get to respond. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. And then we're going to sing and you have a chance to respond. Father, we come to you today asking now that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. Try to bring the message as best as I could the way you wanted me to bring it. And I pray now you'll use it, use your word, and by the power of your spirit, draw people in your presence, help them to make the decision that they need to make, one that they'll never regret if they will simply trust you in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we